those of you who uh, uh, may be new to church life and maybe not be familiar with what's happening today is uh, the third Sunday in January is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, so one of the reasons that um, uh, I bring that up is when I became a pastor, I really followed one of uh, the mentor, mentors from a distance, John Piper, who uh, he encouraged in one of the first books I read on pastoral ministry, uh, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, to preach uh, to a congregation to protect the unborn. Uh, he has made a commitment in his, his ministry uh, to the first uh, the third Sunday in January, to preach a pro-life message every single uh, year to remind us of the fight that's in front of us. So before I begin really kind of unpacking this scripture and kind of applying it to uh, this issue, I really just kind of want to say, why do we do this? Why is it valuable for us as a congregation to think about uh, sanctity of human life? Uh, number one, I would say that is because Jesus is Lord. Uh, some people would say that... Um, this is not in the, in, the, in the opening outline yet. This is just kind of a preliminary for that. I know you're looking for that thing to fill in, not yet. Um, Jesus is Lord is a political statement. So in the, in the early century, we've been seeing this in the book of Revelation. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying Caesar is not. Our ultimate allegiance is not to the kings and rulers of this earth, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to know how can we faithfully live unto the Lord God here and now. The second reason I think the reason why we should speak on this issue is because it is the issue of the day. Uh, I love when it says about, the, about King David, it says that God rose him up in his generation and then he laid down with his fathers. Or Esther, that she was raised up for a time such as this. We live in 21st century America, so we need to, to live as 21st century Americans. How do we live out our dual citizenship, being citizens of the, the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of the United States of America? And the reason why we want to talk about it and bring it up is because if we don't talk about it, we will ignore it. Things that are difficult and challenging, we want to push off to the sides of our, our minds. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 says this. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If we say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his work? Friends, we can't ignore this issue, although we may want to. And lastly, I think if we don't teach on this issue, somebody else will. A couple of years ago, during one of my messages here uh, in January, a, a, a pro-life message, a college student came up to me afterwards and said, that is the first time in my life I've heard a pastor give a biblical reason why abortion is wrong. Nineteen years old. We want to make sure that we are focusing on the issues of our day. Well, that's really exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his ministry. Uh, he, 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 he tried to confront the idols of the day, speaking against the, the traditionalism of the Pharisees and how they viewed the law. Abortion is really not a cultural idol, but it is the fruit of our cultural idols. The main cultural idol of our day, the things that kind of governs our Western society, is individual autonomy, meaning that I am autonomous. I, am, I'm, I exist in myself. My decisions are my decisions, and you have no right to, to speak about that. So it's, it shows itself in, in the sexual freedom that people live and all the, the consequences that come of it. And I believe abortion is just one of those consequences. So one of the reasons why we want to speak to this issue is we want to confront the idols of our day. 
Also, as pastors, our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Uh, when you go and have an interaction with a, a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, we want to make sure that you are prepared to give a reason uh, for uh, all issues of our, our day. Some of, it, some of you may be called to give your life, your whole entire life, giving your life to end abortion. Like William Wilberforce gave his life politically to end the slave trade. Uh, but there could be others of you who, just because of the way you live your life, the kindness and the gentleness in which you speak, because of your faith, someone may approach you when they're caught in that issue. I'm pregnant. What do I do? I, I got my girlfriend pregnant. What do I do? My hope and prayer is that you would be prepared to give an answer there. Well, let me just, two main points and then several sub-points to number two. The, the first thing I want us to do is to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness. Uh, to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness. If you look back at our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing that we do when we approach uh, an issue like this is to remind ourselves that God has encouraged us to preach forgiveness. This is really the end of his ministry in, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he had this, this time uh, after his resurrection. He was walking on the road to Emmaus. And right then he, he explains to those disciples how all the law, all the prophets, uh, all the, the writings were about him. They were about Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. And Luke 24, 48-48 says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he says, You are going to be my witnesses to preach the gospel of forgiveness. That if you repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and trust in Christ, you will be forgiven of all your sins. That's the verse that we read. That as far as the east is from the west, your sins will be forgiven. We need to remind our own hearts that because of what Christ has done, because of His love for us and His laying down His life for us, we can be forgiven. And forgiven of not just the, the culturally acceptable sins, maybe of, of greed or impatience. No, you can be forgiven of the worst of the worst sins. And Christ came for you, not when you were cleaned up, but in your worst state, He came and loved you and died for you. So if, if you are, are entering in this room and thinking about this issue of, of human life, and you have, have been part of the process of an abortion, whether personally as, as a woman or, or encouraging someone as a father to, to practice that, or someone as, as a counsel of, of a mother or a grandmother, that this would ruin your life, that you should go through with an abortion. If that's you and you have, have felt the weight of your own guilt, know this, if you come to Christ, you will experience forgiveness. Christ laid down his life for you. For all the good and bad of your life, Christ loves you. And he would do it again for you. 
And we may not always want to think about this, but as the literature uh, states and all the numbers, and one out of four women will experience an abortion in America. One out of 14 of those claim Christ as Lord, evangelical Christians. You proclaim the gospel to yourself. You are forgiven in Christ. Never forget that. Remind yourself that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is there to condemn you? It is God who justifies. The only one who could condemn you says, I will not if you turn to me. If you trust me. If you trust Jesus' death on your behalf, you will be forgiven. So we as a church should proclaim that message first to ourselves. Reminding us of our own need for forgiveness. But secondly, we should preach that message to our family and our church family. The people we are in close proximity to. Friends, we all need reminders of our forgiveness. We look around this room. We have no idea what someone struggled with this past week. We come here on a Sunday morning. We try to put our best foot forward. We try try to look our best. But there may be some serious internal issues that we're struggling with. Immorality, anxiety, fear. There may be these, these, these raging temptations inside. And we need to be the kind of people to preach forgiveness towards one another. To remind all of us that we need to be forgiven. We want to push people towards the cross. We want to give them the freedom to be able to confess that sin to us. One of the ways that we can preach the gospel of forgiveness towards one another is to confess our sins to one another. Because every time we confess our sins, we are confessing our trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We're saying, listen, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I sinned this way. Will you pray for me? And then we can be reminded of of the grace that God has extended to us in Christ. It's one of the reasons why we sing so many songs that are kind of dripping and, and saturated with the gospel of forgiveness. It's one of the reasons why every single week we gather and we confess our sins corporately together, that we assure ourselves that we have been forgiven. Uh, Because there's times when we doubt that. We want to preach forgiveness to our our family and our church family. And lastly, we want to preach forgiveness to the lost. It seems like a simple, simple enough thing to do. But you know that those who don't know Christ, those who are far from Christ, do they think of the church as being a forgiving place? Are we a community that is ready and excited to extend forgiveness? Are we like the father in the story of the prodigal son who sees someone, one of his sons, who has squandered his inheritance in all sorts of wild living, coming back to him and he runs to him? When people walk into our doors who have struggled with all sorts of sin, whether it's uh, sexual morality, adultery, abortion, are we going to extend our arms open wide with forgiveness? You know, I think one of the reasons why the church is so inept in dealing with this issue relationally and personally is because most people look at our lives and they don't look at us as forgiving people. The, the kind of the, the lies of Satan that has kind of kind of corrupted our culture is that the church would not understand. Let's leave it in the darkness. You know, they'll not accept you. They'll not deal with those things that you're bringing to the table. Satan has made the church appear judgmental. I think sometimes because it is judgmental. 
and other times it's just the appearance. Do we live our lives ready to forgive? And I said this earlier. Most of our interaction with the lost is going to become outside of this building. But there may be some of you here who are contemplating a relationship with Christ that you know right now that you're not a Christian. And, and, if, and if you're not, we will, we, you are welcome to come anytime you're, that you want. We, we, we rejoice in the fact that you're considering uh, what does it mean to follow after Jesus. And I would encourage you to, uh, to, 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 to trust in Christ today. Right? That you would turn to him and, and trust in his, his death on your behalf and his resurrection as your only hope for salvation. That you would talk to the person you came with here today or talk to me afterward about this great news. But most of the time when we are going to deal with this issue, it's going to be a neighbor who sees you picking up your mail and they're going to come and talk to you about something going on in their life. It may be a co-worker or, 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 or a colleague that's just going to kind of come to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this issue. What do you think? And at that moment, are, are, are they, do they even want to come to you because of how you're living your life and the grace that kind of emanates, right? The aroma that is, that is that's drawing people unto Christ. Do we have that kind of aroma or are we judgmental and harsh and, and bitter towards others? Friends, we want to be a, a community that loves the gospel, that loves the gospel and believes the gospel that if you Trust in Christ, you will be forgiven. That's why our interpersonal relationships with one another here are so important. That we have a community that has forgiven one another. And what happens when you forgive each other, truly forgive each other, it deepens friendship. It deepens bonds. It doesn't pull them apart. The second thing we should proclaim, not only with our words, this gospel of forgiveness, but we should proclaim the gospel of light. When we are saved under Christ, saved from our sins, that we are forgiven, we are also saved to something. We are saved from something, from our sins, from damnation, from hell, but we are also saved to something, to the kingdom of God, to be light to the world, to be salt on the earth. We are called no longer to walk in the darkness, but to walk in the light. So what does that look like? Let's just walk through this text and, and kind of see different ways that we're called to walk in the light. Number number one, we want to imitate God. We see that in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, we're, we're thinking about this issue of pro-life. Well, why do we why do we stop here? Why, why do we even, why do we why do we start here? Why do we even talk about this idea of imitating God? Why do we talk about what to do? Well, listen, the most important thing in our lives is that we become like God. That we grow into maturity, into Christ, who is the head of the church. You become what you behold. And we want to be imitate Christ. If we want to have the patience and the, the gentleness and the love of Christ, what we need to do is we need to behold Christ. We need to behold God the Father. We need to behold God the Holy Spirit. We need to think and, and saturate our minds with the, with the things of God. Children naturally imitate their parents. Friends naturally start to imitate and sound like their friends. Church, if we spend time together, we will naturally start to sound similar. Similar language and um, inflections and, and humor. We want to adopt traits that reflect the character of God. In everything that we do, be imitators of God. Number two, we want to walk in love. We see that also in... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And walk in 
love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, love really is the mark of the Christian community. Are we a loving community? I would say by God's grace, I would say yes. You know, I get the great privilege of welcoming visitors who come uh, to our congregation who are not regularly a part of us. And I'll ask them, hey, how have your experiences been? How did you enjoy your time with us? And usually what I hear is this is one of the, the most welcoming churches I've ever been a part of. It seems like there's like a, a, a beacon in people's minds. We have, we have someone who's new here. Zoom! Right? We want to welcome. That is a beautiful thing. It's been here before I got here. And by God's grace, I think it's grown over the years. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus wants. He wants us to be a loving community. Right? A new command I give you. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about how important this is if you're dealing and thinking about possibly going through with an abortion. Where would you want to go? Would you want to go to a place that you're going to be judged and looked down upon? Or would you want to go to a place that you're going to be loved? So if the reputation of Park Baptist Church, both here and outside of these walls, in our communities and our homes, if we are known as a people of love, they may be drawn to us. So how we interact with each other may save a human life because someone may interact with us because they know of our love, and we may convince them of the value of that child. So when we think about, I'm tired, I don't feel like going to church, I'm, I'm tired, about, I don't want to deal with this relationship issue I have in the life of the body, you deal with it, and you come to church. Why? Because human lives are at stake. Eternal lives are at stake. Now, we're thinking today about trying to save and protect the unborn child, the, the ones who are made in the image of God, to protect them. As Gary prayed, in the world, the womb is the most dangerous place in all the world. That is where more people die than any place else. We could talk about a lot of things. Let's talk about the womb. Um, let's protect those who are, who are there. Walk in love. Three, we want to walk in light. Walk in light. Look at verses 3 through 10. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, but you're out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Friends, sexual morality should not be among the saints. Sexual freedom... And the desire to pursue your own desires, to, to live uh, um, for yourself, is a lie. <laughs> it's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, the, the best um, sexual expression is in a marriage, a marriage of monogamy, where that is a representation of the one flesh union of Christ and his church. That is the, the best place of that expression. Sexual free, freedom destroys. It's disastrous. It entices. And it's also subtle. It kind of seeps in. You know, when I was a kid, 
We had a refrigerator. We did. And uh, on the back was an ice maker, and the, what happened was that there was a slow, low leak on the back of the, of the refrigerator. Right? It was behind the wall. We didn't see it. So there's just a, this drip, 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 drip. Just kind of this subtle dripping of, the, of that ice. And then one day we woke up, and our floors, our, kit, our wood floors were all warped. It was like it was, everything was fine, and then one day everything just kind of, kind of destroyed and warped. That's kind of like when you're living in sexual immorality. There's just this dripping, right? And you think it's not affecting anyone. It's not hurting anyone. It's my phone. I can do it in the privacy of my own bedroom. No one's going to see what I'm, what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, your life is warped. Can I just encourage you to, to run from sexual morality? Uh, I'm encouraged uh, by some of our young men who've come forward and said, you know what, I, I struggle with pornography and I want to be free from it. I want to be free from this, this, this gripping uh, sin in my life. Help me. If there's a, are those of you here who have that addiction, have that struggle with sexual morality, come clean. Confess to me or a dear friend and say, listen, help me be free. Hear the weight of what Paul is saying here. He says, those who practice such things have no inheritance of Christ and God. That is not the life that we're called to. We're not, we're not, we're not darkness. We are light. We want to be radically aggressive in, in pursuing purity. The Lord Jesus said this. You've heard that it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man lustfully looks at a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell as a full, a full body. Listen, come clean. Come clean. When I was a young man in my, in my struggle with my own, own faith, in, my, in college, I, I, if I would have come clean earlier, I would have spared myself a lot of heartache. Don't wait. Don't let the drip, drip, drip. Just keep happening in your life to find one day your life being warped. Come clean. Get help. Because we're called to, to walk in light. So how do you do that? Well, create barriers. Build yourself a wall of, of protection. Uh, for, for a young man, the, the great wall of protection is self-control. Parents, you need to raise your children to have self-control. Set, set boundaries up in your kid's life so that they can learn to develop self-control. Because someone who is five or six who doesn't have self-control will eventually turn into someone who's 25 and 26 without self-control, and their lives will be destroyed. Create barriers and protection of an Internet software, blocking things on your, on your phone. Confess. It says here, it says that we should have no partnership with the deeds of, of darkness. We were darkness, reminding ourselves of who we were, but now we are light. We're called to live in this, this light. So how do we partner with darkness? And specifically, how do we partner with the, the darkness of abortion? We'll get to more specific about abortion here in a second, but I think one of the ways that we partner in this deed of darkness is that we don't talk to our children or young believers about it. We're not training up a generation that believes life is valuable. One of the reasons why I preach this sermon every single week. We want to make sure that, that, that we're developing young minds, because if we're not, 
teaching them what the Bible says, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be taught somewhere else. And everything from society that is being pushed down them, that they're, they're not being exposed just merely at school, but things that they're hearing on the Internet, on news, through, through radio and TV, is that it's no big deal. Be free in your sexual expression. And if you get a girl pregnant, it's okay. Here's a way out. That's what's being taught in our society. We need to train a generation who are robustly pro-life. How do we partner in abortion? Well, maybe we, we do it through our, our vote or our non-voting. We should use our political voice uh, to fight for life. We also partner, I think, sometimes in silence. You know, you've been in a situation when the conversation may come up and you're in the room as a believer and God sovereignly ordained you to be there at that particular moment and they're talking about something that God hates and possibly about ending a life through abortion and this is what we do. We say nothing. God put you there to speak, to speak for life. And we often remain silence. What you see here in the scripture is that we don't want to partner with the deeds of darkness. We want to walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found, all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. Uh, Philippians 4, 8, 9, right? With anything that's lovely or honorable or pure, think about such things. Set our minds on the things that are above. These themes are kind of woven through a lot of Paul's letters. And even here it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's really what we're trying to do with any conversation we're having, you know, any kind of counselor wisdom that we're, we're thinking through. We're trying to help people think, how can you please the Lord? So yesterday I was uh, getting a ride from the airport, visited my folks in Chicago, uh, and getting drive to the airport, talking to my, my driver and just talking to him about his life. And he says, I'm, I'm a Christian, uh, but I don't go to church. Well, hey, man, why, do, why don't you go to church? Well, I like to gamble. And I kind of like my, my, my free time, and I don't really want to do those things. And, and he obviously had some desire to please the Lord and ha had had a conversation. And, you know, it's always awkward when you're talking to someone you don't know how hard do you push. And, you know, so I just kind of said, hey, friend, you know, I think the Lord would really want you to be back into his church. I think that it would please him. He goes, yeah, I think you're right. I think we know what pleases the Lord. And I think that there's some things in your life that you know you need to stop doing. It's not pleasing to the Lord. So ask yourself right now, maybe kind of do a, an inventory check of your life and say, does this please the Lord? Maybe you need to take a break from social media. Maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone and go back to a flip phone. Right? Maybe you need to get rid of your computer. There's a lot of things that you must do. We'll get here in a second. The, the next thing that we should do in fighting this abortion is expose the darkness. Expose the darkness. Look at the verse 11 through 14. This is where really Paul is going through the letters. He says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Listen, when you allow abortion to kind of stay in the dark, and we don't see it for what it really is, it kind of is, is kind of off to the side, and we tend not to think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. But sometimes we need to kind of open the casket on abortion. So in, in the civil rights movement in 1955, Emmett Till, 
uh, was a 14-year-old African-American, went from Mississippi to visit his cousin in Chicago. Uh, he was taken out of his home while visiting his cousin, was brutally beaten, right, and then shot in the head and thrown into the river. He was found three days later. Uh, the sheriff put his body into a casket and sent him home to Mississippi. His mom, Mama Till, said, I want to have an open casket for my son. Of course, there was shock because of his appearance, uh, being bloated, being in the water for three days, having a, a face that was beaten beyond uh, recognition. He says, I want everyone to see what they did to my boy. That image was put on Jet Magazine and really began to launch uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, Rosa Parks, when she was asked how did she have the courage to, to stand her ground by staying seated on the bus, she said, because of the image of Emmett Till. It gave me courage. Well, friends, we need to open the casket on abortion. It's awful. When we don't think about it, we don't realize how horrible it really is. We need to expose it to the light so that we can see it in light of the goodness of God and how much he has, has formed the, the child in, in, in his own image, how he knits the, the fingers in the hands, how he, how he, how he carefully places each, each hair. Those of us who have kids know how precious our children are. We need to expose it, open the casket on it, show people how horrible it really is. This is one of the reasons why Senator for Medical Progress a few years back tried to have those secret videos and tried to explore what happens in abortion clinics. Those videos are no longer allowed to be seen and broadcast. Well, why? Well, because the abortion industry has tried to silence them, has tried to, to accuse and arrest them. Why? Because they know. They know if people really knew what happens there would be an outcry. So what the abortion industry wants to do is they want to silence what happens. They want to keep things in the darkness so you don't think about it. We want to be loud and talk about all the things that we do over here by ignoring what happens back here. Friends, let us open the casket on abortion. Expose it. Lastly, consider action. Consider action. Look at verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I want us to be a community that is robustly pro-life, that we care about life in all its various forms. We care about those who are the, the weak among us, those who are maybe mentally or physically disabled, which has been an aggressive attack in the abortion community. We also want to care for uh, people who are in the end of life. Those who are struggling with, with dementia and, um, you know, physically, their body's failing. We want to care for them as, as well. We, we, should, we should care and support women who, who choose life. You know, it, it's, it's always a challenge. I know I've been in this situation many times when a young teenage girl has come to me and said, you know, that then it was Pastor, or Mr. Mr. Keene, I'm pregnant. And what do you say in that moment? I, don't, I know you're 14 years old, and I, I don't want to rejoice the fact that you have, uh, you're a 14-year-old who just got pregnant. But I want to celebrate the life that's inside. 
Choose life. We need to be robustly pro-life by helping women who are dealing with that. Many different options we can, you can help with personally. There's, there's foster care. The foster care system has tremendous uh, need. And when the church rises up and says, we will, fit, we will meet that need, and they see value, many women may say, I will give my child a good home by giving it up for adoption, by putting it in the foster care system. The other thing I just said is adoption. Consider adoption. Um, not every family is called to that, but there's a lot of different ways that you can help with adoptions. You can help support others who are helping with adoptions. People, one of the reasons why people don't adopt is because they don't have the money. Maybe some of our, our resources can be set aside to help those who are pursuing adoption. Lastly, just open your home. Seems like one of the easiest things to do is if you, you know of someone who, who is saying, I can't take care of this child on my own. You say, well, we, we'll help you. Come into our home. Consider how you use your time. You could volunteer at a, at a clinic or a pregnancy center. We have the Palmetto Pregnancy Center, which is here in town. Uh, you could go to Cities of Life in Charlotte and, and, and help uh, do be on the front lines and interact with people as they go into the abortion or just go and park in front of uh, the, the abortion clinic and, and pray for those who walk in. If you don't have the courage or, the, or the, feel called to go out there and have that conversation, go there and just pray that God would give wisdom. Use your money. You know, maybe you could re set aside your budget where you can give money either to a specific organization, like I mentioned, Palmetto Pregnancy Center, Cities for Life, or an online organization. The first place many uh, teenager, teenage folks go, or, or women who, who had an uh, unplanned pregnancy, is they go to Google and they go, unplanned pregnancy. Well, what if when they hit Google, unplanned pregnancy, a Christian organization came up, that they went there first and rather than uh, an abortion? We want to understand the laws and speak out against them. You know, since 2015, there has been more restrictions against abortion than any other time in history. There's, there's progress being made. When we, when we know those laws are being, you know, being voted on, call our congressmen. You know, call our, our representatives so that they can, can vote for life. And I think lastly, we need to pray. God is powerful. God is immensely powerful to bring an end to things that dishonor his name. As Gary said, judgment is coming. And one of the reasons that God has, has held off his judgment on our nation because the people of God are here and, and they are salt and light into the world. We have the great privilege of, of going to our Father and praying for his salvation. So I pray that we would be a people that pray, that pray that one day, we would see the end of this awful sin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us be robustly pro-life. Help us use our time for your glory. Help us use our resources for your glory. God, help us proclaim the gospel of forgiveness to all people. And let us help us live that gospel of light unto the world, that those we interact with would, would come to us with their deepest problems and that we would give them grace and mercy and, oh God, that we would give them truth. So, God, I pray that you would end abortion, that you would defund organizations like Planned Parenthood who fund abortions. 
God, I pray that you would give forgiveness, true forgiveness to those who have experienced abortions. And God, we do pray that you would save lives. That you would allow us to see the preciousness of children. That we would see no sacrifices too great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.